Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this time that we can spend reading your word together and hearing what it says. Lord, we pray that you may explain it this morning through me. May you use me as a vessel in your hands to open up the scriptures. May I not say anything that is untrue or false. May there be no error on my lips, but may what I speak be true and pleasing in your eyes. And may it help those who are gathered here this morning and help me. May we grow as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as we look into your word. And Lord, we pray that anyone here who does not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, may you help them understand what is being said. And may you draw them into your kingdom here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our lives, we like to keep certain things at a distance from us. We keep certain people at a distance. If we know that they're going to hurt us, uh, we like to keep away from them. We keep a certain amount of space between us. We also like to keep certain other things at a a reasonable distance from us. It's winter at the moment, and so uh, we need some heat source in the house, don't we? But getting a little bit too close to the heater is something that we shouldn't do. We like to keep the, di- the heater at a certain distance. We don't go right up close to it. And I see my son Joshua starting to learn this, that heaters are a warm object and you can't get all that close to them uh, until it starts to hurt. And we keep other things at a distance. The television screen. We don't sit right in front of the TV or with our, um, when we go to the movies. It's seen to be the poor seats is to be right down in the front row. And we've learnt that we need to sit back if we're going to enjoy the movie. We need to have a reasonable distance between us and the screen. Unlike my little son Joshua again, he stand, seems to like to stand right in front of the television and look straight up at it. And I think with time, he will learn that it's not all that good for the eyes and it's not all that good for being able to see what's going on on the television screen. There are some things that we are wise to keep at a distance. And Peter tells us to keep something at a distance in particular here in the text that we're looking at this morning. This morning we've come to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. We've been working slowly through the book of 1 Peter. And today we've got the two verses before us of verse 11 and verse 12. And Peter tells us to keep something at a distance in particular. And he tells us to do that in verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. What are we meant to keep at a distance, Peter says? We're meant to keep sinful desires at a distance. We're meant to abstain from them. We're not meant to do them. We're meant to make sure that they're far away from us so that we're not led into temptation to actually do those sinful desires. We're meant to keep them at a distance. What are sinful desires? Well, all those desires that we have to break God's laws, to rebel against God. So when we break the Ten Commandments, uh, we are giving in to a sinful desire that is there to rebel against God and rebel against his law. So we're told to do something here, to keep something at a distance, abstain from sinful desires. But why? Why should we bother keeping from sinful desires? And we're given three reasons in the text this morning as to why. And that's what I want to look at this morning in particular. We're meant to abstain from sinful desires, but why? And there's three reasons given to us. And the first reason is abstain from sin because you are aliens and strangers. 
And that's there in verse 11. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, if you've got a black church Bible, that's page 1201, 1201, 1201, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. One of the reasons, the first reason that Peter gives us for why we should keep sinful desires at a distance is because we're aliens and strangers. What's it mean to be an alien? Well, yes, there is that sense of aliens being from outer space that we have today with the English language, but the old English usage of it is not to refer to little green men, but to refer to people who are in a country but not legal citizens of that country. They're visiting the country. They're there, they respect the laws of that land, and so they abide by them, but they don't have any legal status in the country. They can be deported at any point. Uh, They don't recognise the rulers as their rulers, and so they have no right of appeal to the rulers, and they have no right, if it's a democratic um, government that's in that country, to vote. They're aliens to the country. They're there, but they don't have any legal status. But we're not just called aliens, we're called strangers as well. What's a stranger? Well, it's a foreigner, a tourist. Um, It would be uh, one way of sort of translating it, a visitor to a country. So someone who is there, but uh, they are just temporarily there. You can sort of get more of a, a... a permanent residency here in Australia um, and you can become part of Australia but, the, and, but you've still got some sense that you're a foreigner to Australia. But uh, a, a stranger coming into the land is someone who really is very temporary in the country. They're sort of on a tourist visa. There's no sense that they will stay here for any length of time, uh, any longer than an alien would. An alien may be in the land for a lot longer and probably die in the land. Um, But uh, a a stranger is someone who is very temporary. But what else do we associate with aliens and strangers? Do we just think about the legal status? No, something about a stranger. Uh, What makes a stranger is strange is that they act strangely. A stranger is a stranger because they are strange. They have different customs. That's what makes a a stranger so evident to us. They usually speak a different language, so they don't speak the language of the country that they're visiting or that they're um, staying in for a certain period. They behave very differently. You can pick a stranger often by the way that they they dress, whether they come from the, the country that you live in. They dress differently. They treat others differently, even when it just comes to as basic as greeting. In different countries, they greet people differently. Some people greet uh, by shaking hands. Others uh, bow towards the person to show respect. Uh, but in, in some countries, you, you kiss. You give a kiss onto the, um, the person as you meet them to greet them. And for some countries, I've never really sort of worked this out, it seems to be some countries one kiss is permissible, and in some other countries it seems that you've got to do two, and then others it seems like it's three or four or five, just to really emphasise the point. I'm not sure uh, which countries do which, but many countries greet people with a kiss, and that's a different type of behaviour. To many people, that is quite strange to, to greet someone in that way. And so we can pick strangers by the way they behave in just in greeting. And then when it comes to eating, you can pick foreigners by what they eat. They can be what they actually eat or even just the way that they eat, um, whether they use their hands, which many cultures around the world would do. They would use their hands to eat. 
Whereas some people, um, uh, some cultures use two pieces of wood, two sticks, chopsticks, and others use a fork and a knife. Uh, just eating differently, you can pick who is a stranger, who is a foreigner. Uh, and then it, in, even the types of food, the different spices that are put in, the different, uh, some cultures I taste their food and I just go, I really can't understand why this is seen to be something yummy to eat. It, it, it's harsh against my taste, particularly when it comes to something that's particularly spicy. I like my food fairly plain, but some cultures it's kind of standard to have a lot of spice, to have really hot food. Uh, and so we can pick different cultures by what they eat. And even when it comes to different types of art, you can tell where people come from in the way that they appreciate uh, when it comes to art, the different things that um, with paintings and things like that, you can tell what sort of uh, country that has come from. You can tell Aboriginal art from, uh, from European art. And then even when it comes to things like movies and books and literature, you can tell quite quickly where it's come from. And if you're from a particular culture, you really won't get why people think that's good-looking or why that is entertaining, why that's funny. I have in-laws, my in-laws are English, and I said to them recently, I said, do English people really find English comedy funny? I just don't get it. Do you just laugh at it and watch it because you're English and you want to have some sort of nationality, uh, you want to be um, patriotic towards the English comedy? Or is it because it is actually funny? I don't get it. I don't think it's funny. And it just shows the clash that I'm picking that they're foreign to my culture and to where I've come from. But what does it mean that Christians are aliens and strangers in the world? What does it mean that Christians are aliens and strangers in the world? Well, it means, firstly, that this isn't our legal home. This is not our home at all. We're just passing through. We're tourists in the world. We're on a travel visa here in the world. Our citizenship is in a totally different place. Our citizenship is heaven. And so we abstain from sinful desires because we come from a totally different place. We don't take our cues from the culture as to how we are to behave. We take our cues from our home country, which is heaven. And so we behave quite differently to the rest of the world. We speak a different language as Christians. We speak a different language in the fact that we uh, speak differently by not lying, by not gossiping, by not uh, being coarse in our language, by not swearing, by not uh, giving foolish joking, by not taking God's name in vain, by not saying Jesus in an improper context. We're speaking a different language. We are speaking as foreigners in this world. And we even speak a different language when it comes to theological terms. We have many terms in the Bible that other people just won't understand if we try to talk to them about it. Like atonement, uh, sin even, is one of those languages that is becoming disused. And hell, what is hell? Uh, Propitiation, justification, sanctification, glorification. All these terms, they may seem familiar to you or they may seem a little unfamiliar to you. Most people don't seem to know what um, propitiation is. Uh, Propitiation is the sacrifice that turns away the wrath of a god. So it's used in pagan sacrifices, uh, but where a god is angry, and so a sacrifice has to be made to turn away the wrath of that god. And that's what we see at the cross. Jesus was a propitiatory sacrifice. 
He was a sacrifice that turned away the wrath of God. But if you say propitiation to someone of the world who hasn't had any contact with Christianity, they're going to go, well, what are you on about? What's propitiation? We have a different language. We speak differently as Christians. We also um, behave differently. We don't condone condone legal forms of behaviour that we classify as sin. So legal forms of murder that happen in this country, like abortion, like embryonic stem cell research, like euthanasia that is legal in many countries and starting to become more and more common in countries. We don't condone those kinds of legal murder. We say, no, we have to protect life. We have to uh, emphasise that there is a sanctity in human life. And we believe that conceptions start, uh, that life begins at conception. That we have to protect those people that are very small, yes, but they're still very valuable because they're human. We don't condone forms of legal sexual immorality. There are many types of sexual sins that we call sin that are legal in our country, but we don't embrace them because we come from a different country. So things like uh, sex before marriage, homosexual uh, uh, sex, adultery, pornography, even different types of marriages, uh, we interfaith marriages. Uh, the Bible is quite clear that you're not supposed to, as a Christian, marry a non-Christian. It's sin to do so, but it's legal in our country. And so when we don't, when we say, oh, I'm only going to marry a Christian, we are showing that we're different. We've got different values from our homeland, from, from heaven, we have been instructed differently. And we even treat others differently in the way that we behave. We aren't jealous towards people. We aren't hateful. We don't get angry with them when they've done something to us. We're forgiving towards them rather than unforgiving towards others. And so it becomes quite clear that we have totally different behaviour and we stand out from the rest of the world. Is this easy for the Christian to do this? To be an alien and stranger in the world? Well, no, it's very difficult to abstain from sinful desires because you're an alien and stranger. Because what's really happened when you become a Christian is like you were an Australian citizen, you went to Mexico, became a citizen there and adopted their culture, and then you've come back to Australia and you're meant to behave like a Mexican. You're meant to behave like a Mexican, you're meant to speak like a Mexican, you're meant to live like a Mexican, even though you used to be an Australian and you used to embrace those things, those cultural values that you were when you were an Australian. And that's what happened when you became a Christian. You were a terrible person. You used to live like the world does. But then you became a Christian. And now you're living in the world with its values that you used to embrace But you're saying, no, I'm from a different place. And so it's very difficult because your citizenship used to be in the world. But now it's of a different place. And so you have to work at making sure you're an alien and a stranger in the world. That you're standing out, that you're not in the world, but not of the world. All right, so first reason that we're to abstain from sinful desires is because we're an alien and a stranger. What's the second reason? Well, we abstain from sin because it is harmful. And that's given to us in verse 11 as well. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Many people of the world, non-Christians, 
They embrace sin. They don't see sin as a terrible thing. They see it as a good thing. They don't have a problem with many of the sins that we call wrong. They would say, that's okay, that's just a preference, and particularly when it comes to sexual sins. They say, no, it's all about what I want to do, and it's not about uh, calling one particular way of doing something as wrong. What two people, two adults do in the privacy of their own homes, that's okay. It's not sinful. It's attractive and good to do that. And they do recognise some sins as wrong. We have laws against murder. We have laws against theft. We have many laws that uh, uphold the laws of God in this land. But when it comes to those ones that aren't illegal, people may recognise that they are kind of harmful, but they, they still just keep up this blindness, this ignorance to that, and they focus on their rights. So something like divorce, it's legal in our country, but people recognise that it's a terrible thing to get divorced. Divorce is not a good thing. It has terrible consequences on the couple. It has terrible consequences on the, the family, particularly if there's children involved. It has terrible consequences on the, the society at large. When the marriage unit breaks up, there's big economical considerations. Just the legal system, for starters, has to uh, sort out what's going to happen with all the possessions of, and who's going to have rights to different children. So there can be custody battles. There's a big cost on society there. And there's a cost on the health system. Divorce is a painful uh, thing that happens, and so uh, children and the, the people that are, are, are getting divorced, they can have all these health problems associated with the stress of the divorce. And so we see that the sin of divorce is harmful and bad and not good. But what happens? People say, well, I have a right to be happy. I have a right to divorce this person, so I'm going to do it, regardless of what the painful consequences may be on the other person, what may painful consequences may be on the children, what painful consequences may be on society at large. They just ignore that. They set up the blindness. And they don't change their behaviour at all. Whereas the Christian, when it comes to such sinful desires, they recognise that they are dangerous to fulfil, that they harm the person that commits the sin. And so they keep away. The way it's described there, what does it say? Which war against your soul. Sinful desires are within you and they're like an army attacking you. When you don't keep them at a distance, when you embrace them and don't abstain from them, it's like you're feeding the army that's of the enemy. You're embracing the enemy. Come, come, come. I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. I'll give you weapons. Come and attack me. It's just stupidity to embrace sinful desires because they harm you so greatly. They harm you in this life with the painful consequences that may come. Uh, many painful consequences come with embracing sin in this life. We can see it all around us. But in the next life, we can do serious damage to ourselves if we don't keep sinful desires away from us. We aren't accumulating the rewards that we are in heaven, that God will not be happy with us for the way that we've lived our lives. We may escape into heaven as one escaping uh, uh, through flames, but we also can put our faith on the line. How do you know you're a Christian? One of the big tests in the Bible is that 
you love your brothers, that you embrace loving other people and abstaining from sinful desires. It doesn't save you to do good works, but it's a good way of telling whether you're a Christian. And if you continually embrace sinful desires, you're really saying something about your faith and whether you truly are saved. Whether there's a war going on in you that you're encouraging because you aren't saved at all. So to prove your salvation, you keep those sinful desires at a distance so that you have that assurance that your soul is saved. So that's the second reason as to why we abstain from sinful desires, because they're harmful. The third and last reason is given to us in verse 12. It says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The third reason for abstaining from sin is because abstaining brings pagans to glorify God. Aliens and strangers are curious people. When you have a stranger come along, you take a bit more note of that person than you do other people. I see this instantly with my son Joshua. When someone comes into the house, he sort of... He's, he calms down a bit and he sort of gets over to, you know, nearer his parents and sort of looks at a distance, keeps them at a distance and sort of goes, oh, yeah, what are they doing? He doesn't look at his toys. He just wants to look at the stranger and observe what they're up to. Strangers are curious people. We keep an eye on them. And they're particularly noteworthy if they behave differently, if they really are strange in their behaviour, their customs and what they do. Even if I put on something very unusual... Uh, in front of uh, Joshua. He's kind of taken aback and sort of laughs and watches me. Like in winter, I'll put on a beanie of a morning and he's sort of like, what's on Dad's head? It's kind of strange behaviour that's going on there. And so he's sort of watching and observing more closely uh, and not as distracted by other things in the house. But the side effect of strangers and noticing them a bit more is that we're quick to judge strangers and foreigners That's where racism tends to erupt from, is that there's this quick judgment that happens towards people who are different from us. But even with strangers in your own home, someone that you don't really know has come into your house, and then they leave, and something's missing. Your wallet, you can't find it. Do you accuse one of your children, or do you quickly think of the stranger that was there and whether they had access to your wallet? And so you you may be quick to accuse them of doing wrong, when they didn't do anything wrong at all. But you think, yes, that person stole from me because you're quick to judge strangers. And it's the same with Christianity. Non-Christians will keep a particular eye on you because you're, you're a curiosity. You're unusual. You behave differently. You don't speak the way everybody else does. You aren't as nasty as everybody else and you do funny things. Like go to church on Sundays. It's kind of odd. Why would you give up your Sunday morning? Sleep in, you idiot. No, you're a curiosity to people. And so they watch you. And they watch you partly because you behave differently, but partly because they also are are suspicious of you. And so Christians can get quickly judged. You should be aware of that as a Christian, that Christians are often accused of doing wrong. And that's what Peter says in the text. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
people will accuse you of doing wrong. And that's happened all through church history. Nero, Emperor Nero, soon after the early church was established, he accused the Christians of setting fire to Rome and punished them awfully. He set them on fire in his garden, did horrible things to Christians because he used them as a scapegoat for the fire of Rome. And people do that today with Christians. They'll say, you're judgmental, you talk about sin. You know what the problem with the world is? It's Christians. You just have to listen to someone like Richard Dawkins, to, to um, the prominent atheist with the God Delusion book. He blames a lot of the world's problems on religions, including Christianity. A lot of the psychological problems in this world are because of all this sin talk that these Christians have encouraged us. If people were just allowed to grow up and embrace the good that is within... It would all be okay and not be told that they're sinners. It's these Christians that have caused problems in the world. If we just got rid of Christianity, the world would be okay. And so we are accused of doing wrong. But the other effect of people watching you is that they watch you closely and with time they can see that you are really a good person, that you're out for the good of men, not kind, and not for uh, the bad of mankind. You're really doing good things and wanting to affect people in a good way and not in a bad way. And that's the same when we... Uh, and and the, the thing that happens with foreigners uh, happens with us as Christians. What happens with foreigners? Someone comes along who you don't really know, has a different culture, and so you watch them a bit, you get curious, and you look at what they eat and how they eat and this sort of thing. And before you know it, if you don't watch out... You're eating curry and you're watching Bollywood movies and picking up a bit of Hindi. Or you're eating Chinese food and watching Jackie Chan and finding it very amusing. A comedy that wasn't amusing to you before has suddenly started to become kind of amusing. And it's the same with Christianity. People watch you. They observe you as a Christian. And before they know it, They're becoming Christians. They're attracted to Christianity because of the way you're behaving, because you're abstaining from sinful desires and you're living such a good life and they've accused you of bad in the past but they've started to come round to your side and they start to embrace Christianity and they start to glorify God. That's what it says there in the text. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What does it mean that you glorify God and they glorify God on the day he visits us? Well, it means they become Christians. The word glorify is never used of a forced assent by pagans for, to God and his authority. No, it's used of people honouring God and respecting God as the God who made them and the God who sent Jesus to die for them. They become Christians. And so on the day God visits us, they acknowledge him as God. Now, what does it mean on the day he visits us? Well, the commentators sort of juggle with this and they really um, can't be too sure. Most people think that it's Judgment Day and so they become a Christian and they glorify God and respect him on Judgment Day. Uh, But the other way of understanding it is um, on the day God visits them when they become a Christian at their conversion. The word us doesn't actually occur in the Greek there. That's added in by the NIV. I think they're pushing for a Judgment Day interpretation there. But the word us isn't there, so it could be Um, They glorify God on the day of visitation, is the literal translation. And so it could be the visitation that God makes to their life when he sends his Holy Spirit to regenerate and change them so that they become a Christian and honour him and they've 
doing that because they've gradually observed Christians living good lives and have been attracted to Christianity and then found out more about Christianity and how they can become a Christian. So those are the three reasons. Do you as a Christian abstain from sinful desires? Do you abstain from sinful desires and why do you do so? Do you do it because you are an alien and a stranger in the world? Because you recognise that this isn't your home, you're on a travel visa and your real home is in heaven? Do you abstain from sinful desires because you recognise sin is harmful? That it's a terrible thing and if you embrace it, you're going to get burnt. It's like going too close to the heater. You will singe yourself if you embrace sin. It is a serious thing. And do you abstain from sinful desires because you want to see people glorify God? That you want to live good lives among the non-Christians in the world so that they become Christians because they see that you're really doing what is right. What you do fits with what their conscience tells them that they should be doing as well. It's a marvellous opportunity we have as curiosities in the world, as Christians, because people watch us closely. They observe you. You may not spot them in the workplace, but they're watching you. They're seeing how you behave, particularly when they find out that you're a Christian. They sort of keep an eye on you. That's a marvellous opportunity that people find us unusual and keep an eye on us because you can lead people to Christ just by behaving well in the workplace, by behaving well when the family gathers together. You're gradually advertising Christianity as right and true. Do you take advantage of that if you're a Christian? And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to observe Christians closely. Watch us. Watch what we do. Observe us. And I hope with time you will realise that we are good people. Yes, we do things wrong. We still sin. We still do many things wrong. But we repent of those and we're sorry about them. We don't embrace them. We try to keep such sins at a distance. And we really try to work for the good of people and to show them as much love as we can. Watch us. Observe that and see whether it's true. And then if you are attracted to Christianity and want to become a Christian, all you have to do is be sorry for your sins and embrace Jesus Christ's death for you. That he died the death you're supposed to. He paid for your sins. If you believe in him, your sins are wiped away and you're clean. Do that. If you're attracted to Christianity, that's how you become a Christian. And then you can also begin living a good life among the pagans so they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let us speak now with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have revealed what sin is and how terrible it is. Lord, we pray that we as Christians may abstain from sinful desires. May we do so because we recognise that this place is not our home, that we are here temporarily, and one day we will return. We will go to where our true home is, to heaven, and we will be there for eternity. 
Lord, we do pray that we may abstain from sinful desires as well because they war against our soul. May we recognize that it's an army trying to harm us and may we not embrace such an army. And Lord, may we live such good lives that we are able to attract people to Christianity. May we not give a bad example of Christianity by embracing sinful desires and so bring dishonor to your name. But may we live respectable, holy, loving lives so that people are attracted to you, the God who can change them as well, so that they live good lives. And Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who might be attracted to Christianity. May they carefully observe Christians and may they one day also repent of their sins and believe in Jesus' death for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.